As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and the Alfa Romeo C43 became the first 2023 Formula One car to break cover today in an online launch, with the team boasting a new look and claiming a bold approach to the redesign of the rear end. But how impressive is the team's new car, and what can we expect for Alfa Romeo this season? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and many more are Scott Mitchell-Malm and Gary Anderson. Well, hello, Scott. We've started recent podcasts with our impressions of the launch as an event, so I see no reason to break the format here. So what did you make of the Alfa Romeo launch? Naturally, I was absolutely delighted that we had uh, something approaching a real car, the real thing to to get stuck into. There was still a, still an element of F1 launch season smoke and mirrors at, at play with um, differences between what was very obviously a, a, a show car, an updated show car, and um, renders that I think had certainly at least one design element that I thought was incredibly, incredibly unlikely to feature on the the real thing, which is the um, specific shape of the floor edges. But I might I might be wrong on that. Um, so yeah, it, look, that's not the C forty three that's going to roll out at testing, let alone the, the the actual first race in in Bahrain. It's probably not even the C forty three that we'll see when it shakes down at Barcelona at the end of the week. But it was so much closer to the real thing than anything else we've seen from the three quote-unquote launches so far and a million miles away from what Red Bull did last week. So I, uh, I that's a solid seven, seven or eight out of ten for Alfa Romeo from me. How about you, Gary? Obviously, it's great to have you here to give your analysis of the new car, but obviously, before we get into that detail, how was the Sauber launch for you? Well, I mean, the car is what interests me, and it was a bit short and sweet, I think. Maybe you talk about just shooting around the car with a camera. Um, it's it's nice to see it in a bit more detail. Obviously, the team doesn't want to show that too much, but at least the car was there. I was actually quite impressed by all the other part as well. You know, it, it went quite well. I think just even the, the interviews, the chatting, with the technical director, and their 
their new, um, well, whatever it is, team principal come uh, representative. Uh, and also seeing fans in the, in the audience, you know, that was quite nice to see the sort of the backup. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, collar and tie job. It was a, basically a, an open collar job, a few t-shirts around. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't trying to be laddied out. It was just a fairly normal, what you'd expect a motor racing launch to be like. But I would have loved to have just seen a little bit more time with the car. Um, not, as I say, not to show more detail necessarily, but just a bit more of a scan through the car so we could just pick up the odd little uh, shot of seeing what the real car might look like. As Scott says, the floor was, uh, I'm sure, it was just a, a temporary mock-up to make it look reasonable, but, you know, we'll wait and obviously we'll see that before the Bahrain test. The floor edges on the render look like something that you might see out of, you know, a, a cartoon of wacky races or something like that, just a, a, a weapon to shred the tyres for the opposition. Yes, it, um, it was fairly basic, I must admit. Even the whole side of the floor, um, the, the detail at the front where the turning vanes exit, all that sort of stuff, there really was no detail there worth, worth it at all. But, you know, whenever you consider that is the big change for this year from last year. So being the first team to sort of show their their uh, 2023 car, you would try to keep it hidden a little bit. I mean, I've, we've had press releases for the cars been sitting in wooden blocks. Um, you know, the suspension didn't exist. It was all, it was there, but it didn't connect up to too much. So you have to just, you know, you have to develop these cars, design them and put them together as late in the day as possible to just to make sure that what you're putting on the car is as as, as late a concept as you can or as late a development as you can. If you, if you do it too early, you know, the car's out of date before it even starts. So I, I can't blame them for that. As I say, the general trend of the car must be more or less right, otherwise you're going to build a car for nothing so it would just have been nice to see a little bit more camera time around the car just to pick up the the, the fundamental details i suppose of the car i mean the render showed for example the render showed a, a push rod rear suspension whereas the t the youtube coverage was a was a pull rod rear suspension somebody needs to sort of look at these things within the team and, and try to get them to flow along with each other a little bit more because it would be so much easier to get the good press out of it rather than negative press yeah, that does also cause confusion as well because you're trying to cover it properly and pick out the design cues that are real because, as you say, there's some real tangible information there, but it's frustrating when it's uh, not entirely as presented and there's there's things that you're looking at and thinking, well, these, these are different, so which do we follow? Uh, so, you know, it's the philosophy you're trying to pick up from these, these releases as opposed to the detail of it because you can't really see the detail close enough anyway. So from my point of view, I'm trying to look at what the overall concept's like and that lets, that lets you sort of assess what development opportunities there will be there for various areas um so yes it's it's the first time we've seen a 2023 car and a seven out of ten i think is is a reasonable score from scott <laughs> um, I'm, I'm glad you say that gary the one, one thing i did want to add on this if i may ed is um because this was the first uh first i get like air quotes real um, car that we've seen so far after the disappointment of some of the other launches for, for different reasons because I think it's fair to say of the four launches that we've had there have been four different ones they, they haven't been all I, I, identikit um, Haas and Williams were very upfront about the fact that they were only livery launches or in Williams's Williams called it a season launch stressed it was delivery someone did point out to me on Twitter that they did blunder and in a web article that they published, they did say introducing the FW45, which went against all their other messaging. So I think that was just a blunder. Um, but because this was the first real one, I wanted to just sort of gauge a little bit what like fans and our audience might think about this because it's all well and good us sort of being like, oh, this is annoying from our perspective because of X, Y, and Z. But 
I don't want to speak on behalf of the fans. And I was curious to see if they felt there was an element of dishonesty in what the teams were doing and if it was frustrating. So I asked that earlier uh, on Twitter um, and I got a really good, good number of replies and not all of them were negative about this some said that they just don't care about launches so actually it doesn't really bother them at all which is completely fair enough not saying they have to but I would say the overwhelming majority were very much on the side of what Williams and Haas did was just about sort of that that's fine it's just about okay liveries still interest people anyway Um, they're not pretending to be anything that they're not so that's okay Red Bull was way out of line because they outright pretended that that car was a 23 car when it wasn't. Um, but there was definitely a, a really good vibe around sort of the response to the Alpha launch. It felt a little bit more like what people wanted to see. And I, and I think that was important because it bridges the gap going into next week, when next week I think we have what I would term proper modern day launches. We, we know that McLaren do a good job with their launches. Aston Martin, I think, did, um, did, did made a legitimate effort with their car as well last year. Mercedes is usually very, very efficient with these kind of things. Ferrari's doing an in-person launch. Alpine's doing the same. So I think next week's a bit more proper. And I hope that the fans, that from what I, the response I got, feel a little bit cheated by what one or two teams have done so far get their sort of, um, not their money's worth because you don't have to pay to follow launches, but, you know, don't get taken advantage of because that's the worst thing for me is we know how much people care, fans care about this type time of the season. And I think it does get taken advantage of by people, by certain people within teams and the way they do things, just sort of taking fans for a ride in some ways. I just like to add in there, Scott, you're, you said there about Mercedes being very efficient at these sort of things. I mean, last year they didn't even have the car that was that looked like anything that would appear at the first race. It was a completely different car for their launch. It was, you know, completely different side pod concept. So, you know, they, they had a car there. Obviously, a lot of effort went into building that car to package it because they actually took it to the first test. But, you know, come the second test, it was a completely different package altogether. So... Yeah, I mean, it was nice to see a car, but that big a change is fairly dramatic. That's what I'm sort of saying, really. It's nice to just get the philosophy of the car, not necessarily the detail, but whenever the whole car is changing again. I mean, I do I do agree 100% the Red Bull one was abysmal. It was just really not necessary. And to stand up there and say it was their 23 car was, was just downright wrong. Um, but still, let's go on. Let's move forward. Launches will always be launches, and <laughs> we, will, uh, only, we can only comment and write about what we see. That's the thing about it. So when we say it's rubbish because of what we see, um, that's only because it's what we see. Maybe this car will be a whole lot different from that, but um, we can only write about what we see. Well, as Gary said, let's move forward indeed and have a little bit more of a look in depth at the car. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Scott, before we delve into the technical detail itself, it's worth explaining what the team had to say about the car because technical director Jan Monchot did talk a lot during the launch. What did he reveal about the objectives of the car and the key changes in broad terms? Yeah, so I, I would say that the the broad summary of that is that it feels like they're trying what they're trying to achieve with the 2023 car, at least from a baseline, is all the things that they that they would ideally have adapted the 2022 car to have once they saw what solutions other teams had had gone for. Um, there does seem to have been a healthy recognition within Sauber that there, w- there just were better solutions to, to the new rules last year than they had come up with. But unfortunately, and my guess is that this is something that Sauber made a mistake on that Aston Martin and McLaren maybe didn't because last year I remember Aston Martin and McLaren talking an awful lot about not not locking themselves in on on design ideas and not getting stuck in a cul-de-sac. Sauber seemed to. The cooling solution they went for last year, according to Monchot, was um, basically too rigid in terms of uh, the design options it gave them. They, They couldn't make specific changes that would then have allowed facilitated broader changes. So the the um there was an interesting sort of not pattern but sort of sequence of changes that he explained where he said they changed the the gearbox casing over the winter which allowed them to change the rear suspension geometry which allowed them to repackage the cooling which means different side pods and it's just one thing after another after another it sounds like the baseline for the C43 is the car that they'd have liked to evolved last year's car into but they just didn't have that flexibility so i think they're already hoping that that's going to yield quite a significant step aerodynamically. Monchot um, was talking about that being a, already a, in the simulator a significant step on the deficiency that they had at, at high speed. Uh, the aero balance wasn't quite there last year. They seem to have made progress there. But obviously you're not going to see any of this until testing and then you've got a real world test the um, effects of the the height and floor edges for this year as well. So it is, it's difficult to judge exactly what they would have achieved but it seems like they're just sort of um, they had to plot a new course in terms of the design direction. I think, and they had to wait until the winter to do that. Yeah, I think a lot of teams will talk about that kind of thing, but Alfa Romeo did have some very, very clear limitations that the drivers kept complaining about last year, as you mentioned. Go, let's have a look in detail. They talked about these bold rear end changes, so perhaps we should look at the side pods and rear end as the the main focal point. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's all part of the package. Um, it doesn't just start at the back of the car. You know, it's, it's it starts at the front of the car basically. You know, the thing that I, I'm not quite sure I agree there with Scott is just the the fact that I don't think Alpha would have waited to see what other con- concepts other cars come up with. I think what you do is spend the the first part of the year, the first you know quarter of the year, or a third of the year, um, trying to listen to what the drivers' comments are, or the drivers' complaints are. And you try and prioritize them. And as far as we know, the, the, the cyber wasn't great at, high, at rear end stability at high speed. Um, so, you know, whenever they started the season, they had a fairly massive problem with porpoising. 
um, and then they got un- that under control, and they probably got that under control by by reducing how the, how efficient the underfloor was. So they lost a bit of that that good high speed grip. Um, and to retain that, then you'd have to look at what other concepts cars had just to uh, to see if there's a, a a path there that you could maybe follow a little bit to try to get to the the best solution. So you know, cooling. If we just take that as a as a thing, it's it's been the same for many many years. You know, the engine has a certain heat rejection, or all the components you've got, engine gearbox, etc., has a certain heat rejection into oil and into water, um, and that sort of dictates more or less the size of the cooling you need. Uh, it could be split, and it could be one radiator, or it could be a whole lot of little radiators placed around the car, as we see currently. And to feed those, you know, that radiator area, you need an inlet. And that inlet needs to be in a high-pressure area, as we see at the front of the side pod. And normally that inlet would need to be probably 25-plus percentage of the radiator area. Um, And then you put the radiator in the middle of it somewhere to let the air flow through it. And you put an exit at the back. And that exit at the back probably needs to be 30-plus percent of the radiator core. And that gives you a low pressure across the core and pulls the airflow through there. Um, So then it's about making the duct work. Uh, to the radiator and away from the radiator as efficient as possible so you don't get any separation flow problems and the radiator working efficiently. But picking that rear end exit area is the important thing. You want to put that in the area where it creates minimal damage to the rest of the airflow in the car, um, to the downforce created by the back of the car. So last year, as you can see, the side pods, the, the radiator exit was fairly low down. It had not quite as double a floor, I suppose, as the Aston Martin started the season with, but it had a sort of double floor concept and with a very low uh, radiator exit. And I think if you look at this year's car, they've, they've obviously gone around, tried to make the back of the car work better. They've gone from um, a pushrod suspension to a pullrod suspension. Now, again, um, Red Bull last year went the opposite way and they won a lot of races and championship and stuff, so it's not wrong to go to a pushrod suspension. But I think if you looked at the suspension layout on top of the gearbox on the Red Bull, it was very, very different from the suspension layout on the top of the gearbox of the Alfa Romeo. So I think whenever uh, Alfa were following the concept of this, I call it a letterbox um, radiator exit, uh, a T-section radiator exit above the gearbox, they found that changing the rear suspension and going to a pull rod took the blockage of the rear damper springs, etc., torsion bars, rockers, all that stuff, away from that area so it opened up the the exit area a little bit more and they could hide the the uh, all that stuff down inside the front of the gearbox so logically going to a puller rod suspension has helped them to open up that cooling package um and again it means that the the uh, the the coke bottle area it's more more open so it allows better flow through there uh, especially you know at high speed because there's a lot of flow trying to go somewhere um, whenever you're going fast because that rear tire is displacing a lot of airflow and if that f- if the flow on top of the floor gets to be positive because of blockage it means that the negative pressure underneath the car sucks more of that high pressure air underneath the car so you lose a lot of downforce from underneath it and not only that it can also get a bit draggy so it's about opening up all that back end of the car making sure your inlet and your exit are the right relationship to each other and it doesn't it doesn't get affected by the variation in speed. So I think all of that's a positive. Uh, and I think it's it could suit the problems they had last year, which was stability, at, rear end stability at high speed. So it should be a benefit for them. Um, have they pushed it far enough? Not sure yet. 
And obviously, there are some design cues that are familiar from other cars and what they've done there. There's a little bit of Red Bull, there's a little bit of Ferrari in the the side pod, the the cooling inlets, etc. So the fact they were saying that they were trying to take some inspiration from others as well and feed that into their design, that that does suggest that they have been looking as well as uh, just pursuing their own ideas. Yeah, I mean, everybody, every team looks. I mean, you'll see Adrian Newey walking up and down the grid. Uh, at every Grand Prix, because that's the best time to see the cars. Um, everybody looks. It just, uh, you know, it sparks a little bit of, uh, you know, a bit, a little bit of a thought pattern, I suppose. It doesn't necessarily mean you go and copy it, but it sparks some sort of a thought pattern. And as you say, the the radiator inlet uh, on the Alfa Romeo this year is very similar to uh, the Ferrari, uh, very different from last year, which was a, a square opening, really, I suppose you might call it. Um, this year it's got that long slot with the, uh, a trailing rearward, sort of an eyebrow type inlet, I suppose, with a, that trailing outer corner, which allows the, when the radiators get packed up with flow and they can't flow as much as possible, um, then it has to go somewhere and it has to come out of somewhere out of that radiator duct. If it spills over the radiator duct to the underneath of it, it affects that undercut on the side pod and it can affect the underfloor. Um, so spilling it down the side, as long as you can sort of define where it's going to spill into and theirs looks like it spills down into the coke bottle area then it won't have as big an effect as it will in some other areas so it's about managing that flow because it isn't it isn't consistent all the time you know you you set the cooling range that you need to suit the sort of average average speed every circuit um you know if you only had monza for example to to go to your radiator inlet and and exit could be very very small because you're high speed all the time but if you only had Mon- uh, Monaco to go to, then your radiator inlet and exit would have to be huge. And that's why the, you see the louvers appearing in the bodywork, more of them here and there all around the place. You, you search on the body for an area that has low pressure on the, on the surface, uh, which has given you lift, in effect, as far as the, the surface is concerned. So then you put some louvers, some slots into it so that it, it can suck some of that, that flow out of the, the radiator. Not only does it cool the car better, but it also reduces the negative lift that's on the top surface of the bodywork. So, you know, although we're creating a, a suction underneath the car, the rest of the bodywork of the car doesn't get away from it, from nothing. It doesn't just create high pressure. It, it also creates low pressure. So you need to sort of make sure that you minimize that the negatives on the top of the body and the louvers can be a help to do that if you place them in the right uh, in the right area because they can, as I say, they can pull airflow through the radiator for you. Yes, the the flow is disturbed; it's, it's lost a lot of its energy, but it's better than having high energy flow giving you a negative lift. It's better to have the cooling from it as a package. You always search around the car to find the best solution to it, and uh, you know that's why you see variation. And as part of that package, they did confirm that they've done their own gearbox casing again this year. Now, obviously, they did their own casing last year rather than using the Ferrari one. It's got Ferrari internals, which did allow them to go push rod at the rear rather than pull rod, which is the way Ferrari went. But they did also say the main reason they did that last year was actually for cost cap reasons, because if you make your own parts and design them, that's a bit more efficient in terms of your cost cap use of of money in terms of the notional values of things. So just because they're still doing that doesn't necessarily mean that confirms what Ferrari are doing or it relates to, to that. It's just what they wanted to do and what they feel they need to do for the most efficient operation of the car. But overall, everything they said about what they were trying to do and the physical changes they made in that area seem to make sense. Whether it's enough, we'll only know when they hit the track. But what about other aspects of the car, Gary? What caught your eye higher up or further forward? 
Well, I think, you know, when we look at the car, we have to just sort of take it as a package and let's say the front wing assembly is quite, it's quite a uniform assembly. It's got that leading edge sort of flue conditioner, I suppose you might call it. It's not the front, the first, the forward flap is not just the main plane. It's actually conditioning the, conditioning the flow to the rest of the, the wing. And because of that slot gap can go right across the car uh, underneath the nose, it also helps get more airflow into that central section underneath the nose. The nose rises up very quickly on most of these cars because you want to pull as much airflow as possible into the centre of the car because that's actually the flow that the diffuser is working on. Um, So the more you can pull in there, the more more work the diffuser can do on that, that flow. So very important to get nice, clean, tidy, consistent airflow to that area. Again, the, the front wing, the flap arrangement is not, at the moment we don't see any sort of real changes in, in camber as it goes out, outboard. It's fairly uniform, so there's not any hard working area of the front wing. It's all pretty uniform, so the flow there will be fairly decent off the trailing edge. It won't be sort of, it won't be instigating much transverse flow across the wing, which can affect the car further downstream. Push rod, front suspension, I think retained is it good? Is it bad? I think you know the difference in having a push rod and a pull rod is is really minimal. It's sort of more or less packaging. I don't see any big uh, acid, uh, deficit from having either. Um, it sits, depends on how the wishbones suit your uh, your actual sort of flow coming off that front wing. How you want to try and manage that flow and try and uh, pull it back down again, ready for the side pods and the underflow leading edge because the front wishbone legs are used for that. I was a little surprised to find that the, the, they had done away with some of the the anti-characteristics of the top front wishbone. The, last year, the rear leg, like Red Bull, was mounted quite a lot lower than the front leg. Um, and that sort of helps the front from, from uh, uh, its anti-characteristics, anti-dive and anti-lift. Um, so it stops the front of the car moving up and down whenever you're going from being on the brakes to being on the throttle. They've gone away from that a little bit, and I'm not quite sure why you do that, because I think that's a quite a good characteristic for a car that has a flat platform as such, or a ground effect platform that you're trying to maintain. Leading edge of the side pods, we talked about there, it's a bit more like the Ferrari. And again, we can't see the detail of the leading edge of the floor. Um, I think it's more complicated than what we've seen so far with the with the veins. So we have to wait to see all that detail come to the fore and testing. Um, but it looks as though there has been a little bit of a philosophy change. If you look just between the back of the, where the halo ends and the start of the sort of engine cover part, there seems a bit of a change of, of uh, the, the body lines, the philosophy there. I think that was meant to sweep down quite a lot more. And then when they discovered the, the letterbox cooling exit, they had to you know, change that body line quite dramatically to, to, to optimize it. And obviously you know, they found the hole at the back was better and then suddenly you have to connect that up to your to what you got in front and that you know that the chassis would have been one of the first things you would have committed to so i can understand that happening quite late in the day but i think it's um it does show that you know your developments are never finished until the last part of the car gets bolted onto it but in general the car is it's neat and tidy um i'm not sure that it pushes the philosophy far enough i think the radiator the the, the side pods you know it doesn't follow the red bull solution to the mounting of the sip side impact structures or the, the Mercedes uh, structure, you know, doesn't sort of really push the limits far enough, maybe for me. I think, that, you know, today, currently, with the cars the way they are, uh, everybody's pushing very hard to the limit. Um, you, need to, you need to not be far away from the limit if you're going to improve. So I think, it, you know, from what I see, it could be a good um, midfield runner 
but I don't see it that much better than that, to be honest. You know, competition is all down to how good the others are, not necessarily how good you are. You've got to do the best job you can as a team, and then you, you wait there with your fingers crossed to hope that the others didn't do quite as good a job. But that's not in your hands, so you have to wait and see when they all start running. But at the minute, from what I see, if I was getting excited about detail of design, etc., I, I haven't really seen that yet. I, I haven't got excited about it. I think it's clean, tidy, neat, efficient, but not pushing the limits far enough. They've said that their plan is to develop the front end of the car a bit more as the season goes on because the rear was the carrier of focus. They also confirmed that they've tweaked the monocoques. There's some changes there to the design, so it's not a complete carryover. But Scott, what overall do you make of this car and what they were saying about what they expect to do with it? It's difficult to say because we haven't seen a, any, any other team's evolution of the of the new rules with a full winter to, to work on. I mean aligning themselves in certain ways with the design cues that we've seen from the likes of Red Bull and Ferrari, I guess is it's logical. I guess it can only be a good thing for for a team like that with minimal resources. You see the success that the likes of Red Bull had last, last year. If you can get it to work, then obviously it's very effective and it's the way the majority of teams went. Look, either they didn't realise early enough that they needed to go down that route or they were genuinely locked in because of the design choices they made on the 22 car but they didn't go that route last year when their midfield rivals did so going to it now would suggest to me that they're playing catch up a little bit because it's a new concept for them to 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 understand even if it doesn't tremendously change the way the car works but there will inevitably be an impact I, I don't think there's any unrealistic aims there I think that's the that's probably the best thing you can you can say that nobody's nobody at Sal was talking about you know, are oh, we've you know we did well last season with that concept and it was flawed. We've got untapped potential to unleash now, so we're going to be Q3 and points every single weekend, and maybe even you know be, we'll be beating Alpine and McLaren and all of this. I, I don't think that's um, I don't think that's first of all realistic, but it's also not really what they're expecting. But I think consistent Q2, consistently fighting for Q3, and you know, scoring points with both cars on their strong weekends, I think that has to be their aim for this year. And I think that's what we have to judge them against. Otherwise, it is a backward step for a team that has ambitions of obviously being ready to fight for wins come 2026 when it becomes Audi. That team has to be showing signs of progress. I don't think there is any excuse for them not to at least hold their own in that midfield battle and, and hopefully progress. And of course, they're going to be hard pressed even to hold on to sixth with Aston Martin coming on strong. Obviously, they finished level on points last year. So, going to be a big challenge for Alfa Romeo and a solid foundation, but nothing in what we've seen so far, and more importantly, in what Gary's seen, that suggests there's going to be some massive leap forward. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology 
and Gold Fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Well, Scott, let's let's talk a little bit more widely about the team. New Sauber Group CEO Andreas Seidel was there in the audience, not part of the launch in terms of speaking, but we did hear from Alessandro Bravi, the new team representative, as he's dubbed. So what exactly is going on there? I think this is the, the structure that's being put in place to sort of get the team through this transitional phase before they become more and more Audi over the next few years. So when Fred Vasseur was recruited by... Ferrari, that left obviously a gap as CEO and team principal. It was one role before, but you, we see this with a few other teams now, just the way that a lot of the, the teams are set up as businesses, though those roles are split. Um, and I think, I think Seidel's initial intention was to name a team principal. And we still don't have a really clear answer for why they haven't gone down that route other than knowing that the responsibilities of the team principal will effectively be split between um, Bravi as the official representative. Um, and then you've also got the, the other senior members of, of the of, of the team as well that will be sort of assisting him. So all the responsibilities in theory are sort of accounted for. It's, they're just, I don't know if it's just team boss in all but name, but then if that's the case, why not? give him the name it just strikes me as really odd but basically it's so that I think it's so that the team can tick over in the interim not take their eye on off the ball in the short term while Seidel settles in as CEO to focus on everything that they need to do to improve as an organisation whether that's the infrastructure uh, at the base whether that is the um, you know the commercial portfolio that, that they have um, the the personnel where they might need to, to, to still recruit where they might need to to, to bolster the ranks because even though he has absolutely been painted as a Sauber hire, he told McLaren he was going to that team in 2026 to lead Audi. So it's not coincidence that he's gone there now just as a Sauber person. His his priority will be the long-term building for 2026. And that's why you've got this kind of slightly odd holding structure in place now because I would imagine they've got their eyes on someone like Alan McNish to be the team principal there long-term when it becomes Audi. Yeah, and I think they've gone with that team principal nomination because you have to have somebody in that role to satisfy the FIA, someone who can be called up for press conferences and that kind of thing. So I think that's why they've got this slightly strange name because he's not team principal, but he's fulfilling that role. So very well anyway. But what do you make of all that, Gary, that particular structure? And if you were Jan Monchot, would you be quite excited about what's happening with that team as it turns into Audi gradually obviously this is the last year of that Alfa Romeo sponsorship and then 2026 it will be the Audi works team so there's some work to do isn't there yeah there's lots and lots of work to do but if, if I was Jan I would be very excited about the, for, the future and I think that that's one of the things that I saw as a positive from the press release um, Andreas Seidel knows that he he doesn't have to stand up and be the big the King Kong um, he's coming as a whole different level he's he's you know he's there to make that team structure work and be better He's allowed the people that are going to take the day-to-day 
um, or minute-to-minute decisions to be there to to get their their moment of glory, I suppose you might call it, but to just be there answering the questions because they're the people that have been responsible for the car that's there now. Andreas is a, is a new boy in town, so it'll take his time to get under feet under the table and to really understand what's going on before he does say too much. So I was impressed by that, and again, as I say, for 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 the team. I think what they've done is, is quite good. Um, they they don't they haven't mentioned a, you know a team principal, but they've still got that representative there, so that's that's okay. But they have got a technical director, um, and they were stood up and interviewed quite you know quite positively. The thing for me is that you know Audi aren't going to come in to a team like Sauber and put the investment into it they've they've they're doing, and coming from their background of success in motorsport. They're not going to come in without having any manpower in there. They're not going to stand on the outside and say, right, oh, boys, here, here's this pot of gold. Just get on with it. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a team principal appear next year, I suppose, or, or team infiltration hap, starting to happen from Audi because they've had a huge success in every part of motorsport that they've been in. So uh, Formula One's a new deal to them, but, you know, still... You know, they've understood all the other sports, other uh, motorsports that they went through, and they've come out on top of it. So they're going to have a big influence there. So I can imagine that Andreas will be working with Audi to, to get their representative to be the team principal in the longer term. And uh, he will probably be there just to work um, with what they call now the team representative, to work together in that front. So they don't have this collision course of, somebody having to lose a job because somebody else is coming in at a later point in time. And it would be logical for this process of what I like to call Audification to get going as soon as possible. I have a sneaking suspicion the fact this is the last year of that Alpha deal means this is that slight interregnum insofar as they can't be seen to be becoming properly Audi yet, even though they have confirmed that they've already bought a quarter of the team and that will rise. But they just have to play things a little bit cautiously at this stage. So overall verdict, Scott, you gave the launch uh, 7 out of 10. I was about to say 5 out of 10. Take two marks off. That would be harsh. 7 out of 10 for the launch. But in terms of your expectations for Alpha and your excitement about the Sauber team this season? Um, I don't know. 7 out of 10 feels like it might be a bit generous for that, to be honest. Um, I don't know. Sauber's always felt like a pretty 6 out of 10 team to me. That, that that is just uh, it balances out as that I think over the entirety of its history. If you take out if you take the peaks and the, and the, and the troughs, it just it's very six out of ten. And I think not a huge amount of disruption because I don't as much as I like Fred as a as a team boss, um, and I think he did a decent job at uh, Sauber. I, I I don't think with where they're at, I don't think removing him counts as a huge amount of disruption for them over the winter. It's certainly not Williams' level of uh, winter problems in terms of the the, the management shakeup. Um, they did a decent job last year uh, there's every reason to think that they can do a decent job again this year but there were a bit slightly worrying noises about exactly where they were on the cost cap last year having initially you know like Vasur told me in 2021 for example that they expected to be at the cost cap in 22 but then that messaging shifted slightly last year so not sure they've quite got the budget of some of their midfield opposition so I'll I'll say 6 out of 10 in terms of how optimistic I am about their their chances this season. I think they could do well, but can I can I see them really making a, a, an actual step in the championship versus last year? I honestly would be surprised. And what do you think, Gary? I imagine you've experienced a few 6 out of 10 seasons to to compare that to. So, <laughs> so what do you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've 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 seen a few of those go underneath the uh, 
the, the water, to be honest. But it's one of those sort of things, you know, it's very difficult until the car runs. We never really know. But I, I you know, looking at the car I've seen now or the what parts of the car I've seen now that I think are real, I can't see a real improvement over last year because we know that, you know, Aston Martin were biting at their tails. Um, we know that McLaren and, uh, and Alpine were, you know, that bit better last year. Yes, reliability became a big issue with, with uh, Alfa Romeo. Who's to say that doesn't again this year? So I, I think I'd have to say, you know, your six out of ten is a little generous. Um, they finished sixth in the championship last year. I'd maybe even just go for a five out of ten, to be honest. Not, you know, I'm not being derogatory here. I'm not I'm not really sort of saying they're, they're not doing the job correctly. It's tough. It's bloody tough out there. You know, those guys at the, t- at the front are, you know, they're giving it everything they've got. And if you don't give it everything you've got, unfortunately, you don't go forward. So I don't see them going forward at this point in time. And the reality is, is that some of their opposition did underachieve last year. So yep. the, where they did, the job they did last season, I mean, if they're finishing seventh in the championship, but, you know, they're not that far behind where, whoever's in fifth or sixth, actually, pound for pound, that's a pretty decent job. Uh, it, just just in general, but specifically for that for that organisation as well. So that is ultimately where you can expect them to be, or should expect them to be. And anything above that is is going to be a bonus. So I agree. I don't think we're selling them short in in any way. I think it's just a fair reflection of where that team's at and its limitations. Yeah, and I think the ultimate measure is. I always look at the performance because you could, for example, be eighth and a lot closer to the pace. And actually, that's in many ways a better season than being fifth or sixth. It depends on the relative spread of different cars, etc. But Alpha were 1.7% off on average last season. There was a reasonable gap to Alpine, not cavernous, but there was a clear step there. So if they can improve a little bit on that 1.7% deficit on average, that's based on outright pace, then that will be a good step. I always think teams always want to take a step of improvement each year. So we've got a 5 out of 10 and a 6 out of 10. Shall I say five and a half? Shall I just, uh, uh, <laughs> yep. I'll, I'll hedge and just take the average of your two. So that's solid. You know, above above five, five or above, still perfectly respectable. But uh, yeah, some work for Alfa Romeo to do this season. So thanks very much, Gary Anderson and Scott Mitchell-Malm for your insight. Head to therace.com. Don't forget the hyphen. Plenty to read there on the new Alfa Romeo C43 and goings on in the rest of the world of Formula One. Check out our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories. Gary and Scott often turn up on that one as well and also have a look at our YouTube channel plenty of videos to watch there both in long and short form we have a little bit of a pause in F1's flurry of launches now but we'll be back soon with everything you need to know from the world of Formula One The Athletic 